Mana 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 this is social discasting welcome to social discasting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i am brandon okay brandon hope you're well my guest is a filmmaker and playwright who tells stories about people robots and monsters dealing with their feelings a new script in the blink of an eye was featured on the 2016 blacklist please welcome colby day welcome hello Thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Any time that as a writer, you get to be forced to interact with other human beings um, <laughs> is a blessing right now, especially. Oh, good. Well, that, that works out well because it's, I feel like doing this and just talking to people and being some consistent interactions with people has done so much good for me because it just feels so unnatural not to just talk to people or just see people constantly, you know? Yeah, uh, you know, we're des- we're like evolutionarily designed to need connection. And so this yeah. is fundamentally a very bad thing. I've decided the pandemic is bad. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense to me, though, because like we are these innately social beings, even as in theory, as like Neanderthals, Neanderthals, whatever the preferred pronunciation is, just still tribes like tribalism is a giant part of being a human so this is also kind of psychologically whatever the case may be it's weird it's just not natural it's crazy on so many different levels it's very hard to process what the hell's going on my tribe of people has now shrunk to like you know the two of us living in my apartment and that's what it's been yeah. for what are we at now month six i think so yeah Whew. <laughs> Isn't it fun? It's, it's weird, too, to um, have experienced everything day to day, but then to realize and to put it in terms of six months, that kind of blew my mind just now for some reason. Yeah. So it's been my girlfriend and I in our apartment for, you know, since March. And uh, just last night we were doing the like, oh, this has been a long time. We watched all of this show. We watched all of this show. We watched all of this show. Yeah. All our mile markers are like, remember when we binged that thing? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which is insane. It really is. I'm on Letterboxd and I log every movie. Mm. Just to kind of, so I guess so my memory doesn't have to work in that way. And just, I've gone back and like looked at the numbers or just looked at some of the things I've watched. And, you know, you have those different quantifiers like that. And I'm like, man, this has been, this has been a long time. It's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, this is the natural segue as I specify that I'm segueing. How are you? Uh, you know, every time you ask anybody this, I, I fear for them. <laughs> I'm fine everything is fine this is the worst thing (laughs) but personally my work is such that i stay at home and do that anyway my girlfriend works in documentary film she's able to stay at home and do that Mm -hmm. we're both healthy we have everything you could ask for this is an insanely difficult time i'm really surprised that it has been so okay for me personally it's not ideal and it's not great to put it lightly, but I could have it so much worse. I don't know. I, f- I feel like the longer this goes on, the more all this like artifice, I guess, for me is being stripped away and I'm getting it weirdly a better sense of who I am in some ways. I think that that's definitely true. I think that there just are no new inputs. Like we're, yeah. we're so stuck within our little bubbles, or at least if you're able to be isolated as much as the recommendations are, there just are no new inputs. Like I don't go do anything. I don't see people beyond like digitally, which doesn't actually do the same thing 
for you, I don't feel like. For sure. So it does sort of feel like this, the perfect setup for like, either I will find find myself or like completely lose myself. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, it depends on the day for me. Well, yes. So, for sure. But I think, yeah, predominantly, I'm kind of figuring some stuff out. I also think like I'm having to face maybe some things that whether consciously or subconsciously I've been avoiding thinking about. Mm. And that isn't always great. It's not fun necessarily sometimes, but I feel also feel like it's necessary. Yes. Introspection is not always fun, uh, (laughs) but very valuable. I still have a therapist, uh, you know, I see her digitally. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, you know, learning a lot about myself and like, I do think having the entire artifice of like, I know what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. Having that shaken loose kind of makes you by necessity think about what do I want the future to be? Because I don't actually know anything about it anymore. I completely agree. And I think that uh, having so many different things taken away and things that you're just used to, and maybe in some ways, you know, you've taken for granted because they just always have been there. To have those taken away is kind of made me realize very priorities too, just in life and the things that really that I don't need or require or shouldn't have, but also the things that really mean the most to me. Like it's always been the case for me with friends, just valuing them and, you know, like truly I treasure them. But maybe I underestimated just how much being around them whenever I wanted to meant to me because I miss it so much. My girlfriend and I have both been very careful about not being out in the world. We both have like pre-existing conditions that uh, yeah. just make us immunocompromised. And I saw a friend of mine uh, maybe two months ago where I parked in his driveway and saw him and picked up. He had cooked a bunch of barbecue that he was like starting a barbecue club where you could go pick up barbecue from him socially distanced. Oh, cool. It was really cool. Yeah. And we saw each other from across the driveway and like to not be able to hug one another was such a weird emotional. I was so surprised that it made me so sad, which shouldn't be surprising i guess but the proximity of another human finally in person was something that like was so shocking to me yeah it's kind of interesting how almost out of body stuff like that can be being surprised by your own choice by your own emotion by the way you feel but i do think that yeah i think that it's more than just talking to someone to your point and being on zoom or here or in these different kind of digital spaces that can only bridge that gap so much and I do think we feed off energy and presence and that is a big thing and to be without that I never realized how much I required it it's like needing sunlight to me yeah it's interesting I I think that coming from working in theater for a long time I there's something that of course I knew that that was true that like having bodies in a room does something different just chemically or magically or however you want to talk about it but I think it's easy to take that for granted until you don't really get it anymore yeah yeah it's been you know it's been hard to be stuck by yourself a lot but uh it's fine yeah yeah it'll be fine i thought about this before and i thought about this early on but especially more than ever that i wish i had the choice of turning down plans or the, oh my the God. ability to say no to, you know, I mean, just even that is gone. I would love to cancel a dinner an hour before it's <laughs> supposed to happen because I don't feel like going there anymore. <laughs> just a wave of relief. Yeah, I could use that. Just give me. 
I did want to ask you too that in the Blink and I, your script was on the 2016 Blacklist, and I was curious, what was that like both for it to be on the list, but then also the ripple effect of your life after being on that list? I mean, that's a great question. For those of your listeners who don't know, because it's a weird industry-specific thing, the Blacklist is a list that's put out every year at the end of the year that is sort of, these were the most popular scripts amongst Hollywood producers, basically, that are not yet movies, but hopefully someday would be movies. And it's a weird ranked popularity contest that as an aspiring writer, I like, I lived in New York for a long time. I went to college out there and then uh, stayed in New York and worked in theater forever. And, you know, like the blacklist was something that then was very important to me to see like, oh, what are what are cool scripts that people are writing? Yeah, um, I'm always curious to look at that every year myself. Yeah, and I, so it is not something that ever in my mind, even though I am a writer, I thought would be a thing that would happen to me, which uh, I don't know what that says about me as a writer, as, as my <laughs> self-esteem. But uh, also that year, I so I wrote In the Blink of an Eye, uh, which is a script that is, uh, the premise is kind of, the story begins at the beginning of the universe, <laughs> and ends at maybe the end of the universe. And we follow uh, humans in the old Neanderthal days. We follow humans kind of contemporaneously with us. And then we follow some humans uh, in the distant future. And uh, I started it as a play with this theater company called Pipeline Theater Company back in New York. Uh, And I pitched them basically like, I wanna write a play that's about spacemen and also cavemen. And they were like, cool, we love it. We will do this. <laughs> I was like, great, because I don't know what I mean. But that's, I think it would be cool. And I started it as a play, and it's not a play. It just doesn't work as that. Um, mm-hmm. You want to be able to see life on other planets and space stations. And it just was too big and too complicated. And I moved from New York to LA in 2016 and had written this play that didn't work but I I found a manager that year who was out here and um, he was like if you have a great screenplay like please send it to me and I didn't really and adapted that play to be this script so I being on the blacklist is a weird thing where for me at least the script was already something that my manager had read and really liked and I had started to have a series of like what in LA is kind of called the water bottle tour where people read a script of yours and want to talk to you and meet with you generally uh, which means like hey that was a cool script Uh, we don't want to make it but like what else are you doing so I had been on a bunch of those I finished the script in October which is late in the year the the blacklist comes out in I think December and oh wow during so it was quick yeah it was a weird whirlwind where like i started having those meetings and then about a week before the list came out an executive at a film production company was like hey it would be cool if you're on the blacklist i think you might be and i was like oh what (laughs) like (laughs) i just couldn't process that that was possible like that had not been a goal of mine and then being on that list, you know, you're it's a mishmash of things that are very popular. And like Mindy Kaling wrote one of the scripts that was on that year. 
Dan Fogelman, who wrote This Is Us, was on the list that year. And then also like just a bunch of people you haven't necessarily heard of or whose movies haven't become super popular yet. And so it really quickly became a whirlwind of like, I basically went to every film production studio in LA between like mid-December and February. Went to the Warner Brothers lot, went to Universal, uh, went to Sony, like just you go and meet everybody. And it's a weird being a writer. You are specifically not someone who wants to be auditioning, but you're basically going and auditioning over and over and over. And yeah. then I take notes that are like, who was this person? What did we talk about? Because it is impossible to remember meeting 55 people <laughs> over the oh, course yeah. of the month. So it it was a weird thing that kind of catapulted me into like, I had been a playwright who had made, I think, $600 working in theater total (laughs) Um, (laughs) as a writer. And then it catapulted me into like, I got a job because I was on this blacklist. And like, that's the thing that paid my rent for basically the next year. So it, it really was the thing that made being a working writer possible for me and having family who I could like live with for free for four months while I was doing that is the other thing. Nobody talks about that in Hollywood. <laughs> like money takes so long in this industry that like there's a reason that access is really limited to people who like don't have resources already. I didn't realize, wow, what a whirlwind that was. It feels like that um, your story and your experience is kind of the thing that probably a lot of people who go to LA kind of romanticize in their head and what they imagine could happen, but it just doesn't happen for people. So it's interesting, you know, I went to NYU and I was in their dramatic writing program, which is kind of like you are film, TV or theater. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every time you talk to someone who has an established career or who has like made it within the arts, the general story is like you work in obscurity for 10 to 12 years and then like suddenly you're noticed and that is how it felt like I was in New York theater writing plays for you know a decade and uh making work out there and like nobody really noticed or cared except for the other theater people I worked with and then yeah um I uh had the like very surreal experience of like I signed a lease when I moved to LA and also signed like with an agent that same day like I literally signed wow. like, papers for lease and like hey these are the papers of like you guys can represent me on a film deal which is such a weird such a weird way to do it but I I had friends who lived who had moved here from New York who felt like they sat and waited around and they were like every time I talked to them they're like don't come here unless you feel like you need to because you seem busy in New York making your mm-hmm. own work. And so I kind of always subscribe to like, I'll just make my own things until somebody notices <laughs> instead of like trying to get people to notice me. Because I think that a lot of being in the arts and wanting to succeed is the balancing act of like, am I doing it for me or am I doing it to like get further? And I don't know, I, I picked like, I'll do it for me and maybe someday someone will see that. But I think I picked that because I didn't have the constitution to like move to LA at 20 and like try to hustle and meet people. And that's just not, I'm not a networker. So I tried to just do stuff I liked and wrote an impossible movie that uh, 
<laughs> that no one had ever seen before because it was about the history of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, to your point about it not feeling like a play, just the idea in and of itself is just incredibly cinematic. What was that transition like from playwright to screenwriter? So I grew up wanting to work in movies. Like I grew mm. up at the movie theater and went to college in New York. And when I was there, I didn't meet any other film people. I met like exclusively actors. My freshman year roommate was an actor who started the company pipeline that eventually did my play. And so the people I knew who were eager to work with me were theater people. And they kind of talked me into, if you were to write theater, we would love to do theater that's not a Shakespeare play or a David Mamet play. Like anything, yeah. anything new would be so exciting because actors are like super hungry to get to work with writers. They don't get to do that unless they're new plays. So I got talked into that, but knew that film was where I wanted to be. And I think that the advantage of working in the theater was that you playwrights have like a magical power that screenwriters don't have, which is in the theater, the playwright decides everything. And in film and TV, the director decides everything. So as the playwright, you get to talk to all the actors and work with them and work with designers and you're... You're much more involved in the making of the thing, which means mm -hmm. you also have to answer questions about, well, why does he say this? Why does she go do that? Why is it, imp oh, okay. why is it important that the tree be on stage? And like all those things teach you to be a better artist in a way that I think doesn't happen if you're just sitting by yourself working on your screenwriting because yeah. you're not engaged with as many other creative voices at the same time. And so to me, coming out of that, I felt like, oh, I know what my voice is. I know how to answer questions about my work. And I know how to think about work in a way that actors will also be thinking about it. And I think that that's just opened my eyes to like, oh, right, I have to be able to justify to the lead why this is the thing they're doing, not just that's because that's what the story is. That makes so much sense. And it also reminds me, too, that like it's one thing to think something, it's another thing to have to verbalize it. Yes. Once you have to explain, this is actually just a dumb joke that I wrote, it doesn't mean anything, <laughs> then yeah. you question, well, should it be here? <laughs> I imagine that helps you also get an idea of actors, for example, and how to write for them, right? Because people still have to want to play those roles too. And is that helpful for you? I think it's really helpful to be thinking about what, you know, I think that the distinction when you talk to like executives or people who work in Hollywood is that theater, the perception of theater is much more that it is like driven by the voice of a writer and that it is designed for character rather than story. Sure. Uh, you can like get into whether or not that's entirely true, but I do think it is much more geared towards something that characters who are believable and grounded in like emotional truth, just because you don't have explosions or car chases or exciting spectacle to distract you from like the fundamental human truths that you're seeing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and you have to get those. So I think that caring about your characters comes differently from in the theater writing than in, in film and TV writing. Or it teaches you to worry about that. It does feel like the writing is the star in that regard. Obviously, the performances are, I would imagine, what most theater goers remember are the dynamic performances, but there's less artifice around it. It's all about the character work, right? 
That's what they say. You know, I think like part of what was exciting to me as a as someone who didn't really grow up knowing theater that well was that I learned seeing theater in my early 20s that you do have the capacity to make something that's spectacular and you do have the capacity to make something that's like not just people in living rooms yelling at each other, which is kind of what I thought <laughs> plays were. Yeah. And so, you know, I think there is what we're saying about like there's magic in communal space and the movies to me growing up were that kind of magical communal space. So which ones? Oh man. I mean, I grew up loving such dumb stuff. I grew up with like all the my Python search for the Holy Grail yes. and Life of Brian and like Airplane is weirdly like a very pivotal film for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Naked Gun. I liked so many dumb comedies and then was obsessed with like weird weird worlds the tim burton batman movies were like hugely impactful for me i think that's maybe the first movie i saw like that movie came out the first batman came out i was born in 88 so it came out a year after i was born and i think that my parents like took me as a baby because they were like we are so tired of never being able to do anything (laughs) he's not gonna know or care that we're out of movie (laughs) i was six when that movie came out So I saw that movie. It was like a Friday or Saturday afternoon. I remember that movie vividly and I was just blown away by it. It was such a great experience. And like you said, like Burton, well, he needs limitations, but he's so good (laughs) to put it lightly. Somebody needs to tell him, hey, don't do that. (laughs) Oh God. I have so much to say about Tim Burton, but when he has some limitations and he's like works within himself, truly a visionary. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's no question about that. I do think that constraints are really important for artists. And very rarely do you get to see an artist have zero constraints and still be producing art that's as interesting. And I think that that's true. As I'm saying that now, I think that that's maybe true for all mediums. Like, you know, like Dr. Dre making an album in 2019, it's like not as interesting as <laughs> as his old <laughs> yeah. stuff either. And I think that comes from constraints and like creative problem solving. I don't know. Having less constraints allows just things to come about organically. And I think people just naturally respond to that of authenticity in people, but certainly in storytelling and filmmaking. And like you said, probably every other form of art as well. Yeah, I mean, the only, and we'll see, like, you know, what was Tenet like, but uh, I do think Chris Nolan is maybe the one artist that is working right now who truly can be given, like, $100 million, and still just is like, it's a movie about love is the power of the universe. (laughs) Yeah. Which I really respect. I love Interstellar because it is just a weird fairy tale that he wrote that happens to be about space i guess but it's just a fable and respect for being able to get a hundred million dollars to make a fable i agree you know the interesting thing that i i think about with interstellar specifically is interstellar i think this is right i hope my mashed potato brains are remembering this correctly that came out the same year as the martian (laughs) i didn't know that that's true but i believe that that sounds accurate I believe that's true. I'll look this up in a second. But the other thing that I was going to say about it is that I also think worldwide that movie made more than The Martian. That's super interesting. I mean, I know that Chris Nolan is like a box office uh, <laughs> genius, you know, like the guy's never made less than $80 million. Um, so he knows what he's doing. Well, yeah, and he's one of the rare filmmakers where the credit up top on the poster, a Christopher Nolan film, means something to people. Mm, 
Mm-hmm. You know, outside of like Spielberg and certain ones, but especially now, I think very rarely happens. Yeah, it's interesting. I do think because we've moved into this world where film is so driven by like the studio or the universe that it exists within, the underlying IP is sort of the thing that has value and like draws someone in and not. Yes. Uh, even who I mean this is very reductive because like there are artistic films and I go see films by specific artists because like that's what's interesting to me but I think a lot of like the commodification of film has also made it so that like what you're going to see is the next Marvel film you're not going to see like Edgar Wright's Marvel film Yes. I've said this to a bunch of friends before, but movie stars aren't really much of a thing anymore. There are like so few now. There's less, I would say less than 10 There are actual so movie stars. There are so few and they are all people who were movie stars before Disney bought every studio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They've kind of weirdly been like grandfathered in. I think about it in terms of people going up to the box office, which in and of itself feels antiquated right now, yes. but... Going up to the box office to say, I want a ticket for the so-and-so movie, whoever person's movie. And like, I think about like The Rock, Mark Wahlberg, Denzel. Yes. But there are very few like that. I do think, yeah, I think it's under 10. I think that's fair. And it might even be closer to five than 10. That sounds accurate. I mean, it's, it's just not what we're... It's not the way the machinery is built anymore. It's not just yeah. the personality you're going to see, except for, I guess it's just action stars. I'm trying to think who is outside of that that still does that, and it's maybe Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah, Brad Pitt. You know, it, interestingly, I think Bradley Cooper might be one. <laughs> maybe? I don't know. <laughs> His movies make money. I just know that. That's true. But there's not many. Brad Pitt, yeah. Brad Pitt is like truly an all-time movie star. Not a lot of people can lay claim to that. No, but he has this thing going where, you know, he's been that, he has been that for decades at this point. Oh, DiCaprio. That's one. DiCaprio, he's done all kinds of things. I think he's, he's not an action star. So I think that's probably. I think that's the perfect answer. And I think that the thing that I'm so struck by with Leonardo DiCaprio as an actor is that he has... He really is pushing himself, I think, right? Like all his films 100%. are super interesting and super different. And I never would have guessed based on any previous film what the next one would be in a way that like, you know what Mark Wahlberg's going to make next year. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the more the fighters of the world that I'm shocked by with him for sure. Because he the joke about one for them, one for me. Well, he does 30 for them and... <laughs> maybe one for himself or other people i don't know but dicaprio to me I, as an actor i am i'm truly like in awe of him because i always think about it as he was in when he was in his early 20s or whatever the age was the biggest movie of all time from that for the rest of his life he could get any movie made and so he could have been the most boring complacent actor who didn't in any way challenge himself for the rest of his life he has done the opposite he followed it up with the beach <laughs> Which has a video game scene where he's lost his mind. It's like no knock on, on McConaughey, but he lost like 10 years because of how to lose a guy in 10, in 10 days to rom-coms. Yeah. And that's why the whole thing about like the McConaughey was such a narrative because it was so wild for him to really challenge himself. At least consistently. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when you're talking about actors who are like really admirable or impressive, the people who I really am most excited about are the people who have like chosen some weird stuff. You know, Robert Pattinson and Daniel Radcliffe are also two guys who like, because they took 
because they can do whatever they want, they like could have just done nothing and instead have chosen really complicated, weird, abstract films (laughs) because they can. And that's very admirable to me. And I think what's exciting for people who see like Sandler in Uncut Gems of like, oh, if he wants to challenge himself, he can do things that we didn't expect we'd get to see. And that's yes, really satisfying as an audience to like be surprised by the actors. And that sounds so basic as I'm saying it, but... But I know I know what you mean though because like for me one of my absolute favorite actors who was at one point anointed you know they do they love to do that anoint the next next big actor and thankfully he failed miserably in Prince of Persia but Gyllenhaal is one of the most interesting actors out there and Colin Farrell was similar he Tigerland put him on the map and then they really tried to anoint him and now he does such interesting work. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think about actors and, and creatives and things in their trajectories and, you know, what we have now and what we might have later. I think about all this stuff way too much, but I do find it weirdly fascinating. Well, nobody knows what we'll have later. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Is there anything you want to point people toward before we wrap it up? Yeah, I mean, people can follow me online at the Colby Day. Uh, I'm on Twitter there and Instagram. I also, uh, yeah, I mean, I have work coming up that I can't really talk about, but I'm excited about. <laughs> and that's where people should should listen for that. But uh, yeah, that's all I got. Awesome. Well, thank you again for taking the time. Oh, I really enjoyed it. It was my pleasure. I mean, yeah, as I said, I think in our introduction, like to get to talk to <laughs> other humans <laughs> here as the writer is like, oh, thank goodness for for some <laughs> social interaction from home. No, the same thing for me. Like, I feel like a droopy plant that just got sunlight. So this is great. Oh, beautiful. Uh, yes, agreed, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> okay, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Please stay safe. Please wear a mask. And, uh... Be kind to yourself. Okay. Thank you. Bye.